You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. Mark chapter 1 is where we are going to be. It's good to be back with you after being off for about three or four weeks in, in light of the birth of our new son. And so, uh, man, I was so blessed by Nathan and Adam and, and that whole series of the Bible. And so thank you guys so much for, for preaching uh, and, and feeding us well. Mark 1, verse 16. We'll read through verse 20. It says, Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he, speaking of Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew and the brother of Simon casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. And then going a little further, Jesus saw James and the son of Zebedee and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed Jesus. Let's pray together one more time. Father, we know that you're here. Now help us to be here. We pray through the power of your spirit that you will take this word, which you tell us is alive and it's active. It's just as powerful as if you were standing here today speaking it yourself. And take it and and work it into our hearts. Transform us into the men and the women that you have created us to be. And it's in Jesus' name that we do pray these things. Amen. Hey, I want to see a show of hands. How many of you in here work out? Raise your hand and be honest. It's Sunday. You might as well tell the truth, right? Once a month doesn't count. And so, okay, quite a few of you. I know some people, it's like you ask them, like, you work out? And they're like, yeah, like, when's the last time? Like, 1988. Like, that doesn't count. Um, I think there's two types of people in the world. There are those like me who say they work out. And then there are people like my brother who actually work out. Now, if you don't know my brother, he runs a gym here in town, Anytime Fitness, which has been voted Region 8's uh, best fitness center several times. So, Way to go. Holler at your boy. <laughs> yeah, all right. A little love for Grant. Um, and so Grant's philosophy when it comes to working out is no pain, no gain. My philosophy is no pain, no pain. You know, it's like, <laughs> that's great. You know, it's like I know people who literally will work out until they get sick because they push themselves so hard. I'm like, I never want to feel sick again ever any day of my life. I don't know why you would do that. But my brother, right, and, and people like him who actually work out, I think Grant works out, you know, five to six days a week. Uh, he pushes himself, right? He makes sacrifices so that he can make gains, so that he can get bigger, he can get stronger, he can get healthier. And so me, on the other hand, uh, I work out, eh, I think I've worked out once since Moses was born. Um, I made it to the gym one time. I do, however, uh, try to do some push-ups when I start feeling convicted. And so, like, a couple of weeks ago, I'm watching the national championship game on TV, and there's all these big muscled guys, and I'm like, man, I need to be stronger. So I like did 25 push-ups right there in my living room. But that's pretty much it, right? My brother, super committed. I'm not so committed, right? When it comes to my diet, you know, again, my brother, far better diet than I have. I mean, he eats the right stuff. He takes the right supplements. He, he gets enough protein. I eat like something sweet uh, for lunch or swirls, you know. And so, um, again, he's super committed. I'm not really that committed. And as a result, because I say I actually follow or actually work out but don't work out but my brother does he looks like that right and I look like this okay now here's why I share that other than Grant told me if I would put that up there he'd give me 10 bucks just kidding (laughs) the reason I share that is this think about this my fear today is that some of you treat Jesus the way that I treat the gym 
in that you say you follow Jesus, but you don't really follow Jesus. You say you want to go all in, you want to reorient all of your life around Christ, but you have yet to really reorient all of your life around Christ. And so, you know, maybe you show up here on a Sunday morning when all the stars align and the kids aren't acting all crazy and all that kind of stuff, right? Maybe you read your Bible whenever it's convenient. Maybe you pray when you feel like it, right? But you haven't truly gone all in on what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And as a result, you sit here today spiritually lethargic right? You're spiritually maybe unhealthy, and you're missing out ultimately on the life that God has created you to experience in Jesus. And it's because of that, we have decided to launch a series called The Way, where we are learning together from the scriptures what it literally means to be a true disciple of Jesus, so that we can experience the life in Jesus that he has promised us in his word. If you're here today and you are not a Christian, I really think this is a great time for you to be here. If you're just kind of here, and I know some of you, that's where you are. You're peeking over the fence. You're trying to figure this whole Jesus thing out. Hey, you're going to walk away in a few weeks from this series knowing what it means to truly follow after Jesus. If you're here today and you've been in church your whole life, this is still a great series for you. Because as you know, right, it's very easy to build up a version of our Jesus and our heads rather than to to truly submit to the real Jesus. So no matter where you are, not a Christian, Christian, been in church your whole life, not been in church your whole life, I believe this is going to be a powerful series for all of us. Now, before um, we actually move back into this text... I need to kind of nerd out on you for about like seven minutes, okay? I need to give you a little bit of history, a little background. I promise it's going to be fairly painless, but you need to know this in order to understand where we are going. So in Mark chapter 1, when Jesus walked on the scene, what you need to understand is this. In the context of Mark 1, Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. Yes, he's God's son. Yes, he has authority over all creation, but he was known as a Jewish rabbi who is calling Jewish disciples in a first century Jewish culture. Now, why does that matter? Well, because Jesus appeared on the scene, there were many other Jewish rabbis before him, and there were many other Jewish rabbis after them. There were many other rabbis who called disciples before Jesus, and there were many disciples who called, or, or rabbis who called disciples after Jesus. And in this culture, Right? This is what every child aspired to, to actually follow after a rabbi. And so what would happen is, is when you were about six years old, your parents would send you to this school that would be connected to this local synagogue, and it would be taught by a local rabbi. And at the age of six, you would enter into the first level of Jewish education, which would be, be called Beit Safar. And at Beit Safar, between the ages of six and ten, you would be asked to memorize the entire Torah, the entire first five books of the Bible. So I want you to think about that for a second. By the age of 10, what do our kids have mastered? YouTube, video games, iPhones, right? Yeah, Pop-Tarts. Yeah, just keep it coming. And so um, Jewish boys and girls, right, by the age of 10, were asked to master the Torah. Think about that. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy memorized line by line by the age of 10. We're like, you know, it's just... It blows my mind to think about. Now, at, 
at the age of 10, what would happen is probably around, you know, 40 to 50% of the kids would be like, this is too much for me. I can't do this. And so they would leave school and they would go and learn the family trade, whether that's fishing, carpentry, whatever. But the best of the best would move on to the next level of education, which would be called Beit Talmud. And in Beit Talmud, what they would be asked to do is this, is literally, if you were in Beit Talmud, you would be asked to memorize all of the rest of the Hebrew scriptures. So that's our Old Testament. Between the ages of 10 and 14, think about that, Genesis to Malachi, completely memorized. Now, a lot of you are going through the Bible project right now. You're reading through the Bible in a year with us. It took us a month to read Genesis. Think about memorizing Genesis to Malachi completely. Now, clearly, at the end of 14 years old, you've weeded out a lot of kids. Okay, They've gone, they're apprenticing under their parents, but the best of the best... They moved on to the next level of education, the final level, which was called Beit Midrash. And in Beit Midrash, literally what the the, the student would do is they would enter into this application process where they'd be interviewed by the rabbi. And the whole goal for the student was to become, in this moment, a disciple of the rabbi. Now, when you think of a disciple, don't think student. Okay, a student primarily, and we got several high school teachers in here and school teachers, a student primarily just kind of wants to know what the teacher knows. But a disciple, on the other hand, they just don't want to know what the teacher knows. They want to be able to do what the teacher is able to do. And so in light of that, whenever the rabbi, the teacher would sit in front of them and they would enter into this, this, uh, you know, an abatement ration, this level of education, and they're in this interview process, what would happen is the rabbi would just drill them on the Torah, on all things Old Testament, on, on, on the prophets, on all of these things. And what they would be wanting to know is this. Can this kid sitting in front of me do what I do? That's the question. Can, can this kid, not just can he know what I know, can he be like me? Can he do the things that I do? And if he didn't think the kid could, he'd say, hey, you know what? You obviously love God. Thanks for memorizing all the scripture, but go learn your family trade. However, though, if he thought, you know what? I think this kid's got it. Like, I think this kid can do what I do. Then you know what he'd say? He'd say to the kid, come and follow me. Come and be my disciple. And historically, here's what this meant, and I'll put it on the screen for you. Historically, to follow a rabbi, your disciple was three goals. Goal number one, to be with the rabbi. Goal number two, to become like the rabbi. And goal number three, to eventually do what the rabbi did. Now, by the way, when you think of goal number one, to be with the rabbi, don't think like, oh, they must have had like a school where the, where the you know, disciple went and, and basically they sit, you know, from Monday through Friday, eight to three. No, to be a disciple of a rabbi literally was a 24-7 experience. You would stay by the rabbi's side. You would eat by him. You would sleep by him. Uh, you would work by him. You would do all things right beside the rabbi. And there was even a saying when you had become a disciple where other uh, rabbis would say, may the dust of your rabbi's feet cover you. In other words, may you be walking so closely with your rabbi that as they're walking, they didn't have paved roads back then. They had dirt roads. As he's kicking up the dirt from his feet, may you be so close to him that it's covering you. May you be with the rabbi, become like the rabbi, and ultimately do what the rabbi did. Now, history lesson over. Let's move away from Jerusalem. Let's head to Paragold. What in the world does all of that mean for us today? Well, here's what you have to see. In the context of Mark chapter 1, when Jesus walked on the scene as a rabbi, when he called his first disciples, he called them to three goals. To be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and eventually to do what Jesus 
did. What you need to see today, everybody look up on the screen, that's what it means to be a disciple. That's our call today. If we are going to be followers of Jesus, the goal is this. Goal number one, be with Jesus. Goal number two, become like Jesus. Goal number three, to do what Jesus did. Now, over the next three weeks, I'm going to dive into each one of those individually, uh, sermon by sermon. We're going to talk, you know, in much more detail about what that looks like. But for this morning, let me just give you a quick overview so I can lay a foundation of where we'll be going. So look again in Mark chapter 1, verse 17, when Jesus calls his first disciples, what does he say to them? The first thing he says out of his mouth, follow me. In other words, be with me. Guys, in our culture, we desperately need to hear this. We live in a culture where people will tell you, hey, you want to go to heaven when you die? Just pray the sinner's prayer. Doesn't matter what you do after that. Just pray this magic formula and you will absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, whether you meant it or not, no matter what happens from there, you will spend eternity in heaven. We live in a culture where people think that you go to heaven simply because you don't want hell. That's not true. What we need to hear today is a disciple is not someone who doesn't want hell. A disciple is someone who first and foremost wants Jesus. A disciple is someone who first and foremost says, you know what, I want to turn from trusting in the things of this world. I want to turn from my sins. I want to turn from believing they're better. And I want to regularly be practicing turning towards Jesus, being with him, experiencing his presence in my daily life. And not, I'm not turning to Jesus primarily because I hope I get to heaven in the next life. I'm turning to Jesus now because I want to get him in this life. I want to experience him right now, right here, 2017, in Paragould, Arkansas. That is the heart of a disciple. It's goal number one, to be with Jesus. Now, for some of you, you say, okay, that all sounds great, but, but how in the world am I supposed to be with Jesus? I mean, the disciples, they could physically touch him. They could see him. I don't see Jesus anywhere in this room physically, so how can I possibly walk with Jesus right here, right now? Now, and again, next week, I'll spend most of my time talking about being with Jesus. But in short, let me just kind of give you the gist of the sermon. If you want to learn how to be with Jesus now, you have to learn how to live in relationship to the spirit of Jesus. In other words, you have to learn how to live in connection to and constant awareness of God's Holy Spirit. Guys, listen, this is a baseline for the kingdom of God. This is absolutely just fundamental and therefore we have to get this right if anything else in our relationship with God if anything else is going to make sense in John chapter 15 I'll put it up on the screen for you or you can turn there in verse 1 listen to what Jesus says to his disciples I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that does not bear fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit Listen carefully, guys. We are not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. That's what we see right here. When God saves you, he expects there to be fruit to come from your life. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. That doesn't sound like good news, right? But if you do abide in me, 
And my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done of you. By this, my Father is glorified, how? That you will bear much fruit and therefore prove to be my what? Disciples. How do you prove to be a disciple? You bear much fruit. How do you bear much fruit? You abide in the vine. You be with Jesus. This is goal number one. We'll talk a lot more about it next week. Goal number two, as we're being with Jesus, goal number two is eventually to become like Jesus. Now, the Bible calls this sanctification. Another word for it is what we like to call spiritual formation. So whatever you want to call it, sanctification, spiritual formation, here's kind of a definition of what I'm talking about. I'll put it on the screen for you. Spiritual formation is this. It is the process by which God forms Christ's character in believers by the power of the Spirit, in the context of community, and through the practice of the spiritual disciplines. This process involves the transformation of the whole person in desires, thoughts, behaviors, and styles of relating to God and others. Now, I know that is very dense. There's a lot in there. I'm not going to unpack it all right now. We will, I promise you, over the next few weeks. But here's what I want you to hear before we move on. Listen to me carefully, guys. Whether you believe it or not, Everybody in here right now is a disciple. Everybody in here is a disciple of someone or something. And therefore, guess what? You are being shaped by someone or something. Now, some of you are like, not me, man. Like, I'm, I, like I, nobody shapes me. Nobody tells me what to do. I'm the original. Okay, sorry. No. You are where you are. Because... You have been shaped by someone or something. So the question this morning is not, am I a disciple? The question is, who or what am I a disciple of? And therefore, the question is not, am I becoming like someone or something? The question is, who are you becoming like? Are you becoming more and more like Jesus? The truth is, guys, we should look more like Christ this year than we did last year. Are we becoming more like Christ or are we becoming more like somebody or something else? In Romans chapter 8, verse 29, the Bible says the goal of the Christian, right? God is working in us, Romans 8, 29, to conform us more into the image of Jesus. In other words, God's goal when he saves you and he gives you his spirit is to make you more and more and more like Jesus from the inside out so that we can, through the power of the spirit, then glorify God by doing what we see goal number three is, and that is to do what Jesus did. If you look back in Mark chapter 1, Jesus said, come and follow me, verse 17, and what does he say next? I will what? I will make you, I will make you, I will transform you, I will make you what? Become fishers of men. If we understand what Jesus just said there, that should blow our minds, because you know what he just said? Listen, this is baseline Christianity. What he just said is the same mission God the Father has sent me on is the same mission I'm going to send all my disciples on. What he just said in here is the works that God gave me to do is the same works that one day, if you're my disciple, you will be doing. If you're like, I, I don't know, Jared, is that really what he's saying? Well, listen, just let me, let, let's let Jesus talk for himself. John 14, 12. Jesus says again to his disciples a little bit more clearly for us. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. In other words, because I'm sending you the Spirit to empower you to do the same things that the Spirit empowered me to do. Truly I say to you, whoever 
believes. Is it just saying like if pastors believe? Or if the spiritually elite believe? Or the people who get their masters in the Bible believe? Or people in prominent positions believe? Or people in big cities believe? No, if whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do. Jerry, what, what does Jesus mean by greater? I don't know, but I know he doesn't mean lesser. He means greater. Now think about that for a second. And I want to get some feedback here. Like speak out loud. When you read the New Testament, what are some things you see Jesus doing? Healing people. What else? Teaching. What? Saving people. Yeah, okay. So bringing people into the kingdom of God. Feeding people. What else? Huh? What's that? Yeah, sharing God's word. What else he doing? Reviving, raising the dead. Huh? Casting out demons. Forgiving. Ooh, easy. So we could go on and on, but I think we can sum it up like this. Okay, I'm going to put it on the screen for you. When you look at the life of Jesus, you can kind of sum up everything he did by looking at these things. He was preaching the gospel, which is about him. He was living in step with his teaching, so he didn't just say, hey, you should love your enemies. Jesus genuinely loved his enemies. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He ate and drank with people far from God. In other words, the Bible says he was a friend of sinners. He prayed to his father. He had a great, just perfect communion with the Father. He rested. He took a Sabbath. He did justice. He prophesied, and he spoke the truth in love. Now, leave that up there for a second, Ryan, because, look, everybody look at the screen. If you are a disciple of Jesus, your goal is to do all of that. Is that not what the Word says? Now, you might not be able to do it all tomorrow. It'd be a pretty full day, Right? You might not even be able to do it all by next year. But the goal of every single person here, guys, this is not like, like varsity Christianity. This is baseline Christianity. Your goal as a disciple of Jesus, be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and eventually do what Jesus did. We have a few ladies in our church who are nurse practitioners, which from what I understand is just uh, it's basically like a medical doctor, but they don't prescribe narcotics. Is that right? Okay, and I think that's even going to be changing soon or whatever, okay? So, so they're a big deal, all right? Um, way smarter than the rest of us. And so I was, asking, I was talking to Rebecca Coble about this uh, this past week. Um, she's gone through the, the training, and I, I said, okay, to become a nurse practitioner, what do you have to do? And so she said, well, first you have to get your undergrad, okay? Like, all right. Then after that, you have to be accepted into the, the science and nursing master's program. And not everybody gets accepted into that, but if you get accepted into that, you take three years of classes, so three more years on top of your general stuff. And while you're doing the other three years, you do 960 hours of clinicals. 960 hours. And I said, okay, what do you do with these little clinical deals? And so she said, basically what you do is you just follow around the doctors. And you try to learn from them how to provide the best health care you possibly can from newborn to the elderly. And I said, well, let's talk more about that. And she said, yeah, so you're just following them around. You're watching them as they deal with patients. And she said, in my case, what happened is one day the doctor walked in and he said, hey, here's your otoscope. Now go see your first patient. Go. And now you do what I've been doing. I said, well, how'd that make you feel? And she said, really nervous. They're like, I don't know if I can do what you've been doing. I'm afraid I'm going to fail. I know I'm going to fail. 
But she said, I was also really excited. You know why? Because she said, I didn't enter this program just to know what the doctor knows. I entered it to be able to do what the doctor is able to do. It is not different at all when it comes to a disciple of Jesus. Jesus doesn't say here, it's your autoscope, go and do you see your first patient. But he does say, I'm going to make you into a disciple. Now go and make more disciples. You go and you do what I do. The go of a disciple again, be with Jesus Become like Jesus and do what Jesus did. Now, again, I'm going to talk a whole lot more about that in the weeks to come. But quickly, I need to share some things with you on ground level. Here's what this means for us as a church moving forward. First off, if you're in a missional community, you've already begun to experience this. We're going to place a much larger emphasis on our membership renewal. Every year since we've started, we've always thought membership renewal is important. A lot of churches, and there's, I'm not knocking any of these churches, but you can, you want to join the church, you, you walk down, uh, you fill out a piece of paper, you say, I want to become a member, they make you a member, and then you're pretty much on that membership role for the rest of your life, no matter what, okay? Um, every year, we've done this since we started, when there was only about 20 of us or whatever, you know, we said, hey, every year, we want you to basically renew your membership. In other words, we want to remind you of the vision of the church. We want to remind you of what it truly means to be a disciple of Christ. And we want you to raise your hand and say, yes, I want to continue following Jesus in 2017 within this local church. This year, what we are doing is we are asking you to go online. We've created a form for you to where you will specifically be asked questions about how you plan to be with Jesus in 2017, become like Jesus or become more like him and do what he did within the context of this local church. And we're asking you to get on there and to prayerfully to feel this thing out if you truly want to continue to be a disciple of Jesus within the context of Fellowship Paragold. And so that's something we're going to place a big emphasis on. If you're going to be a member of this church, right, you're going to be asked to do that. Second thing is because we're taking this seriously of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, we are building out for you personalized spiritual formation plans. Um, We've been talking a lot about this thing called the Enneagram. How many of you have heard us talking about the Enneagram so far? Just to make sure. Okay, words are getting out somewhat. So the Enneagram test is basically, I think, one of the, and Adam agrees, one of the best tests out there to help you understand how you relate to God, yourself, and others. It helps you identify how sin has actually corrupted how we're relating to ourselves, to God, and others. And it also shows us, therefore, ways that we need to personally, right, be developed and maybe ways that others don't. And so what we are doing this year is we are putting a ton of time into helping you understand how to take this Enneagram and how you, in light of your results, need a specific spiritual formation plan to help you become more like Christ. And so we're actually spending a lot of uh, time, Adam's traveling a lot this year and next year to get even more trained in this. But on February 17th and 18th, I want to encourage you, mark your calendars. If you're members of the church, we're going to have a free dinner for you up here and a free breakfast the next day. We're going to teach you on all this Enneagram stuff. And we're going to personally give you, again, a unique spiritual formation plan. Adam, ever since he got here, has been hitting the ground running on trying to help build these things out. Guys, you don't have to do it, but I'm telling you, it is an absolute gift to you. I, I, if you can't afford it, we'll pay for it. It takes $10 to take the test, okay? And then, like I said, the dinner's free, all that kind of stuff. And so that's something we're going to be doing um, this year. The third thing this means for us is we're just going to be carving out time to practice the ways of Jesus together. And so what I mean by that is, is we're going to actually have sermon series throughout the year or standalone sermons where I or Adam or someone else is going to teach on something that Jesus did, whether it was... Uh, you know, preaching the gospel or healing or praying or Sabbathing. We're going to teach on that. 
And then within your missional communities, we're going to build out discussion guides, and you're going to have these little homework assignments, nothing big, like just, we're talking baby steps here, where you will actually go and practice that thing and seek to do what Jesus did, and then you'll come back and you'll talk about it with your MC and say, hey, here are the obstacles. Here's what I discovered. Here was the encouragement. Here's what happened as a result. Now, as you hear all that, some of you are like, oh my gosh, like you're getting a little nervous just thinking about it. Take a deep breath, relax, and listen. Fellowship Paragold has always been a pleasure. We've said it is okay to not be okay. And that's not changed. This really is a place where it's okay to struggle. It's okay to have doubts. It's okay to have fears. Fellowship will always be a place where it's okay to not be okay. But please hear me, guys. Though it's okay to not be okay, it's not okay to want to stay there. And because we love you so much as pastors, and we really believe Jesus' words, we're going to do everything we can to help you experience more of the life that's found in him by pursuing the life that he's called you to pursue. Do you understand? Like everything I just told you that we're building out, we don't have to do that. We don't have any, anybody other than Jesus over us that's telling us we have to do this stuff. That is all coming from a place if we really truly believe the words that are in here. We love your families, we love Jesus, and we want to call you to experience the life that is found in him. That's the only reason. It would be much easier for us not to do anything I just said. I understand that everything I just said, literally, here's what's going to happen. Some of you are like, I'm never coming back. You won't. Some of you, I guarantee, I can't guess guarantee, but it saddened me to think there's probably some that like they won't come back after hearing it. Like, man, I don't want to do that. Like, I'd much rather just go show up on a Sunday, check out. Like, I don't, right? So this isn't like some like sort of church growth technique. It's not some way for us just to like make a great name for ourselves at fellowship. It is just a way for us to try to love you to the best of our ability. Now, some of you, when you hear all this stuff I just said, maybe in your mind you're thinking, oh, this is legalistic. This is all legal. You know, it's all about work, 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 work. Listen, burn this into your memory. Grace is opposed to earning, but grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to you saying, I'm going to work to earn God's love. That's legalism, all right? But grace is not opposed to effort, to working out your salvation with fear and trembling, right? To work these things, to practice the ways of Jesus. I've become more and more convinced America is a spiritually dangerous place to live. And you know why it's so dangerous for us here? Because America is one of the only places in the world where people tell you you can be a Christian and not be a disciple. It's like the only place in the world where people tell you that you can go to heaven in the next life and not follow Jesus in this life. Guys, you will not find that anywhere in this scripture. And if you're believing that, just, I'll just let Dallas Willard uh, give you a word. Here's what he says. You might want to think about what your life amounts to before you die. About what kind of person you are becoming. And whether you really... Man, this... Hit me like a ton. Listen to this. And whether you really would be comfortable for eternity in the presence of the one whose company you have not found especially desirable for even a few hours and a few days of earthly existence. He is, Jesus, after all, the one who is right now this morning saying, follow me. Be with me. I saw a poll from ABC News that 83% of Americans right now claim to be Christians. 83% claim to be Christians. What's staggering about that is 85% of churches, no matter what denomination right now, are stagnant or declining. How is that possible? How can 83% of people be Christians and 85% of churches stagnant or declining? You know how it's possible? 
Because we have a lot of people who claim to be Christians who aren't disciples. That's how it happens. You have a lot of people who maybe think they're, 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 they're a disciple because they prayed a prayer one day or because they marked on a form, well, I'm not Muslim and I'm not Buddhist, so I guess I'll be Christian and I guess I'll go to heaven now. We have a lot of people that are doing that in our culture, and as a result, right, we are where we are today. You cannot be a Christian and not be a disciple. We need to understand that today. So what I just want to ask you is we're kind of coming in for a landing is this. Guys, as we move forward in this series, I want you to seriously evaluate in your own lives. Are you a Christian by America's definition? Or are you a disciple by Jesus' definition? Do not be deceived. God won't be mocked. Do you truly want to follow after Jesus, or have you just intellectually assented to some ideas about what it means to follow Jesus? When I read in Scripture, what I see, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is primarily Jesus is not looking for converts to Christianity. He's looking for disciples into the kingdom of God. He's not primarily just interested in you, like saying, yeah, I like the idea of Jesus. Now I'm going to go live my life however I want to live it. And Jesus, you just kind of follow me. He says, no, I want you, I want you to follow me. And when he calls us to follow him in Matthew 16, 24, here's what he says. If anyone would come after me, if anyone wants to be my disciple, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You know what the cross is? It was an execution device. It was a painful, humiliating way to die. In fact, it was so painful, the word excruciating came from, it means, literally means from out of the cross. And Jesus just said to his disciples, hey, you want to be my disciple? You must pick up your cross and you must follow me. In other words, you must be willing to die to your dreams, your desires, your goals, your time, your talents, your treasures. You must take all of that stuff and you must give it to me and say, Jesus, I believe you know better how to run my life than I do. Now you tell me what to do with this stuff rather than me trying to tell you what I think should be done with it. Some of you are like, that's not a very encouraging message today, Jared. I didn't laugh very much, and I don't feel very good. Pick up my cross. Why would I ever do that? Because the promise in verse 25, what does Jesus say? Because when you try to find this life, what happens in the end? You lose it. You try to hold on to all this stuff now, it's going to be gone someday. But he says, if you will lose your life, if you will give him, here's my schedule, here's my time, here's my talent, here's my treasures. If you will do that, he says, in the end, you will find life. That's the whole point of the Bible. The whole point of the Bible is not God saying to you today, shame on you, try hard to be better. He's saying, won't you come to life? Come experience a deep, rich, full life that you have yet to experience, that you will never experience in the things of the world that you can only find in me. Jeremiah 6.16, as we end this morning. God looks at Israel and he says this, Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it. And find what? Rest for your souls. But you, Israel, have said, we will not walk in it. Man, I hope nobody leaves here today saying that to Jesus. I will not walk in that. I will not follow after you. You know, the truth is, I guess to an extent, every single day we all do say that, don't we? 
Every time we sin, that's what we're saying, right? Like there's a fork in the road. I'm not going to follow you. I'm going to follow myself. And that's why the gospel is such good news because in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way. And he came and he walked that life perfectly that we could never walk. And then he went onto the cross and he lost his life for you and me so that we can lose our life for him. And then he rose from the dead so that we can now have confidence in knowing that when we do lose our life for him, that we are going to come out better as a result. Do you own that confidence this morning? If not, I pray that you do. Have you truly given your life to the way? Have you truly given your life to follow after Jesus? You are all, listen guys, I'm closing this morning. We're almost done. I know we've got a thousand things to do. This is the most important on the list. We all are at a fork in the road right now. Do I want to follow Jesus? Do I want to follow after my own ways? Do I want to be his disciple? Do I want to be a disciple of someone else? If you have never chosen to truly go all in on following Jesus, I want to encourage you to do that this morning. The good news of this gospel is Jesus says, anyone who desires to be my disciple can be my disciple. And by anyone, he means anyone. Isn't that awesome when we see that? Because when Jesus called his first disciples, who were the people he called? What were they doing? They were fishing. They were doing their family trade. If they were doing their family trade, what does that mean they weren't doing? They weren't following a rabbi. And why were they not following a rabbi? Because they were too dumb, right? They were the not good enough. They couldn't make the cut, right? The homework was too much for them. They were JV at best. And Jesus says, I don't care. You can come and follow me. Jesus doesn't care what baggage you have. He doesn't care about all the doubts and fears that you have. He doesn't care how much sin you have in your life. He doesn't care about what you've done or you haven't done. He says to you right now, I love you. And if you want life, you come and follow me. Come and follow me. Trust me. It's going to be hard at times. It's going to be difficult. You're going to have to give up some stuff, but you're going to gain a lot more because you're going to gain Christ. If you've never truly followed him, I pray you'll do that today. If you're here and you have decided to follow Jesus, we've got communion at the front. We have two stations right here in the front, two in the back. Come, partake. It's a tangible reminder that Jesus has come and he has accomplished everything that we need through his perfect life and death so that we can have the forgiveness of sins and the life that we are all longing for with him. Amen?